Welcome to another episode of The Inquisitive Analyst. I'm your host, Marcus Utakang. It's the show where we chat with business analysts and project managers about their challenges, triumphs, their ideas, and their contribution to their field. It's inspiring, it's upbeat, it's exciting, but most of all, it's inquisitive. My guest today is a keynote speaker and author on leadership and project management. He's also president of the Institute for Leadership Excellence and Development, and he's the host of the People and Projects podcast. Please help me welcome to today's show, Andy Kaufman. Welcome, Andy. Hey, Marcus. Thank you so much for inviting me. I look forward to our discussion today. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, very much so. So let's get down to the brass tacks. I got a bunch of questions for you today, Andy. Hopefully you can answer them. First That's of all, <laughs> inquiring minds or inquisitive minds want to know, how did you get started in project management? You know, I've, I don't think I've ever run into somebody who at age eight said, uh, mommy or daddy, I want to be a project manager someday. <laughs> and, and I think maybe similar with business analysis. You know, I think a lot of people kind of get there through a different route. And, and perhaps that's changed now since it's such an attractive you know, professional uh, you know, route to take. But I, I'm as close to the accidental project manager as anybody where I was started as a software developer and I got promoted into management for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> you know how that works where someone's reasonably good at this and the whole halo effect, like clearly they'll be good at this too, but I destroyed my teams, Marcus. I mean, I was terrible first time manager, but I eventually, you know, got my feet under me and I started understanding more of how this works. And at that time, there really wasn't as much clear delineation of project manager and the manager. It was kind of like you're kind of both. And then when I took some project management training, I just walked out of that with, oh my, I'm a project manager and I like this. I mean, I like this. And so I don't, I don't know if my title ever was project manager. I don't think it was. It was, it was a different software developers. It was a manager, it was a director, vice president, but it was never a project manager. But one of the big lessons that people learn eventually is we're all project managers, <laughs> regardless of title, right? We have to deliver stuff. And so my route was uh, being assigned to deliver stuff and having a team. So that was my route into it. Wow, it's amazing. Okay, so you host a podcast show. You make something that can be difficult look so easy. How do you do it? What's, what's your secret to being a successful podcast host? You know, so you're in this now and you know, you know how this works. I mean, so there is, I can't remember the latest number of the number of podcasts that are out there, but you know, it's just exploded. Yeah. You know? And I decided in 2009 that I'm going to try it. And my goal was to always create an episode that I would want to listen to. Because the truth is, there are a lot of really boring podcasts out there. And so what could, what could I do to make it interesting? And almost always the, um, interesting is tied to value, <laughs> right? So, so like when, when people feeling like they're really getting value. So that comes down to uh, guests who I feel like could add value, who are good thought leaders. And it's really the same thing you're trying to do. Like, how can I get people that would be interesting to deliver value? And so over the, over the time, one of the things I found was asking better questions, um, I never wanted the show to be about me. I want it to be about the guest. And so what can I do to ask better questions to draw out aspects of, of their story that they don't, you know, because most of these people are on uh, a bunch of podcasts. If a, if a new author is coming out, if it's a, especially if it's a high profile author, I mean, they might, they might be doing 
20 interviews a week. And I want to ask questions that no one else is asking me. And so uh, that, that has led to it. But I suppose overall, it's just consistency, right? So, and you're, you're, you're struggling with that now because you have so many people who've said yes to you. That is like, consistency is not going to be the problem. My problem right now yeah. is getting episodes out just because I'm speaking almost every day. So yeah. as, as you know, I mean, here's the bottom line. Anybody watching us right now knows podcasts are cool. I would like to do a podcast. Starting a podcast is the easy part. Keeping it going over time is the really interesting challenge to keep it interesting, to not get burned out by it, to, to um, keep it fresh and change. And so over the, I think we just released episode 318. So it's like, if you listen to an episode five years ago, it sounds so much worse. And you go back to when I started in 2009, when probably I was only my mom and dad listening, like it's, it sounds terrible, but it, it's, it's a little bit of an agile thing, right? We could, we could wait to get it perfect or we get it out there and get feedback, get out there and feedback. You got, you got some feedback on duration. Right? And so mine are probably too long, but a lot of times people listen to mine for PDUs. And so they're like, if it goes <laughs> 45 minutes, that's better. You know? So, so it, I don't know, it's just an interesting thing, but it's a lot of trial and error. Yeah. And I think probably one last thing I'll say is things change when I decide to make big acts, ask what I mean by that is ask for a name guest that there's like no way they're even going to get back to me. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they get back and go, Oh, <laughs> I'll make another ask. And that, that probably led a, a lot of it. And that's led to incredible conversations. Yeah. You never know until you ask, you know, you never know. Uh, uh, you never this know. Carrie, Carrie uh, Maribel, I believe it's pronounced. She's, she's great to follow on LinkedIn, but she wrote a book that the title says it all. The title of the book is you already have the no, you already have the no. So, so somebody, you know, we're talking about podcast guests, but this could be, you know, abstracted out to any sort of situation. Like, oh, I'm not going to ask that executive out to lunch. They'll never say yes. <laughs> and her point is, you already have the no. If you, if you make the ask and they say no, it's no different. But what if you make the ask and they say yes? Yeah, it's like two project managers. And I, I, was, I would guess it's the same with business analysts. I think a lot of us would benefit from plus wanting our assertiveness and learning to make an ask, even maybe an aspirational ask sometimes. We already have the no, right? Yeah, well, I think the aspirational ask is 100% correct. I have to agree with that, no doubt. You never know until you ask. Yeah, so, yeah. podcasts, great resource for professional development, like you mentioned, you know, yeah. getting PDUs for watching them. How does this PDU system work in your case with your podcast? Yeah, so uh, when, and somebody can go look it up on the, PDU or this continuing, uh, there's a handbook for it, CCRS or something like that. But really what it comes down to is when you report a PDU, it can be training, it can be serving as a project manager, there's a bunch of different categories, but one of them is online or digital media is what it's called. And so what it comes down to is one hour of listening or watching equals one PDU. And so people just keep track of a log. So on our podcast website, we have a a log that people can download and uh, they can take notes if they ever get audited. So what they'll do is they'll, <laughs> you could binge Netflix or you could binge a podcast. <laughs> and, you know, if you're looking to crank out some, uh, some uh, PDUs, you can do that. Just keep track of it in case you ever get audited, but that's, it's, it's self-reporting. That's it. Nice. Okay, cool. I might do it myself. Yeah. I haven't done it yet. I might. Yeah. yeah Excellent. Yeah. So next question. 
I was looking at your profile on LinkedIn and I was watching some of your podcasts and listening to you. And you say, rarely can you do a project on your own. We all know that, right? So that's why you must excel at leading people. So what are two ways you think that a project manager can excel at leading people? Yeah, that's a really good question, Marcus. And the, um, the older I get, the, uh, the less satisfied I am with simple answers to more complex questions. So I, I really believe there's a lot increasingly, in fact, I just posted on it this week, a lot to do with the context of the culture, the context of the industry and the team and all the other stuff. So there's not a one size fits all in so many of these things, but um, here's one thing that comes to mind is one way to get better at leading teams is to make sure we're not getting in the way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we're not over managing. And I just recently had a podcast with a, um, uh, she wrote a book called Managing Up. And the interesting thing is, it's good for learning to manage up, but you can't read the book without learning to how to be a better manager too. Because <laughs> you're like, that difficult manager that someone's trying to manage up, that might be me. <laughs> and so um, she talked about the difference between micromanaging and being nitpicky. And that was really helpful for me because I don't, I honestly don't think I micromanage my team, but I am nitpicky. And I'm nitpicky. And so the, the point I'm trying to make here is if someone wants to get better at leading, you have to make sure we're not getting in the way. And, and too often what happens is like my, my story, I got promoted and as I got more promoted, but this was where I started under stress, I'd go to my blankie. You know, I'd be like, like, you know, assign me a bug. I still got my mojo. And they're like, no, I, I, I could easily get in the way myself. And so learning how to get out of the way is one thing. And then learning how to best serve our team. So certainly there's a lot of uh, good emphasis on servant leadership or serving leadership these days. But uh, Marcus Buckingham told me during when I was interviewing him, he said, there's two questions that you should ask your team members each week. And he goes, there's research to back this up. Your team will perform uh, more effectively if you ask these two questions, right? So this is from Marcus's book, uh, nine lies about work, nine lies about work, about work. Uh, the first question is, what are your priorities this week? Now notice I'm not going up to my team and saying, Hey, these are my priorities this week, right? It is, Hey, Hey Marcus, what are your priorities this week? And, and you're not just gratuitously asking the question you really want to know. So, so, so then why, why is that powerful? Because I'm connecting, I'm asking for the context from you, you feel listened to. Yeah. And so there's just uh, great power in that. A lot of people feel effectively invisible. In fact, Marcus told me that um, you can build the, you can build the worst manager ever. And that is to ignore your team. So, so each week just say, Hey, Marcus, Hey, what, what's your, uh, what are your top priorities this week? Second question, what do you need from me? So in both cases, it's just two practical questions for servant leadership. Now that's not all servant leadership, but it's really what that comes down to. So how do you get better? Get out of the way, make sure that we're not the, the, you know, the, the line of most resistance. We're slowing things down because everything has to go through us, whether it's micromanaging or nitpickiness. And the other is asking those two questions, the simple questions, very easy to do. Yeah. So yeah. You can be large and large and in charge without looking like you're large and in charge. You have to, yeah, ask the right questions and, and yeah. fo put the focus on other people, not yourself. Yeah. Mar Marcus, I, one of the things I love about Mark, you know, he's the father of the strengths movement, but he, he had that nine lies about workbook. Um, 
really tries to expose a lot of a lot of the problems that we have with feedback systems and all kinds of stuff and culture. He's got some really good commentary on culture, but there there really is something about asking the questions. And he goes, "There's research behind those questions." So try it out. All right, I'll I'll put that in my pocket of to dos, no doubt. What's the focus of the Institute for Leadership Excellence and Development? What do you guys do? You know, that typical presenting issue when someone comes to us is they'll say something like this. We want to get better at delivering projects. You know, we, we just feel like we've got people in positions. We're asking them to lead and deliver, but they're, they're, they're struggling or we just want to get better at it. It could be like one of our uh, clients right now, uh, they said, we've got people in management positions, but they've never really been trained <laughs> on how to do what they're doing, right? It's like the accidental project manager, accidental manager. So the presenting issue is almost always, we want to get better at helping someone lead in their current role or prepare them for a future role, or we want to help organizationally get better at delivering projects. So what that means in practice is, uh, workshops on project management and leadership, uh, keynotes on those topics, and in one of our programs, coaching as well. So you, you train people how to do keynotes or you just have people present keynotes? Well, it's interesting you guys say that because part of the name Institute was designed when I first came up with it to sound like it's bigger than one guy. <laughs> so it's not, <laughs> you know, it's not just you know, Andy Kaufman, Inc. or something like that. So the yeah. vision of it was to uh, also raise up additional speakers. So for our project major workshops, we have additional facilitators as well. And part of that process of onboarding a facilitator is you can't just know project management, you have to be able to facilitate well. And the, the truth is, there's a lot of bad facilitation. There's just a lot of boring classes and they don't get better if you do it over Zoom. I mean, it's, it's even worse. So, so we put a lot of focus on helping people in fact, we probably won't even consider them if they're not already a pretty good facilitator, but we want to take it the next step. Hmm. Okay. I always like facilitating. Not that I'm giving any hints, but you know. Well, actually, no, that'd be a gift. I didn't even think about it. <laughs> One of my favorite Canadians, man. I didn't even think about that practice, but uh, yeah. No, You're too it, nice. You're too nice. It is, it, is, it is pretty magical when people don't even feel like they're in a training class. You know, they yeah. feel like they're in a discussion. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's the way to go. I used to be in public speaking and debating many, many years ago in, in my undergraduate years. And I got back into it uh, a couple of years ago, just, just out of a fluke. And, you know, I, I, I got the bug back. I got yeah. the bug, yeah. you know, getting up there, speaking. I just, yeah, anyway. And this, part, this podcast is part of that. Oh, yeah, we're good for you. And, and you're, you're good at it. And it's one of those things where, to me, it's uh, like one person we were considering bringing on and we didn't was because what he said was, ah, I love the stage. I just love to be the center of attention. We're like, nope. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> when the goal is for the audience to feel like they're the center of attention, right? That they're engaged, yeah. that they feel like they're learning. And yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure uh, teachers in, in elementary school and, and higher must feel this way when they see the students' eyes light up and they're like, I got it. Uh, <laughs> it's not about them being wild by us. That's by them feeling like they're really learning. That's, yeah. that's the magic. Yeah acceptance yeah that's that's the way to go or yeah giving it so what are what are two ways that project managers can improve their ability to deliver projects well once again it depends a lot on the context and the industry and i mean it's it's different if it's a i do a lot of work with pharma companies and so you know it's something that's highly regulated and uh you know tech is different and things like that but i would say one 
common thing that we find that people take away from our workshops that even if I talk to them a year or two later, that they're still doing is we just refer to it as this getting stakes in the ground. What I mean by that is I interviewed a guy named Pierce Steele, actually a Canadian, Pierce Steele. He wrote a book called The Procrastination Equation. And this guy boiled down procrastination like nobody's business down to a formula. And the formula is not critical to know for project management, though it's interesting. But what, what it really came down to is, is the longer a deadline is out, the more procrastination there is, which kind of makes sense, right? It's, it's the planning fallacy from psychology. It's, it's the student syndrome, sometimes it's called. Like the, the, the longer the deadline, ironically, the further the deadline out, the more optimistic we are too. <laughs> oh, six months out. I got time. Yeah, 12 months out. <laughs> slam dunk, yeah. but, but so the idea that he, he shows it in the book of, of, we might call it milestones. I, in the class, we just call it stakes in the ground, but keeping stakes in the ground two weeks or less. Now, I'm not saying that because of Scrum or any sort of agile two-week uh, sprints or anything like that. But what, what I've found, and, and more anecdotally than scientifically, is that a lot of our practice, in practice, a lot of our planning windows are two weeks. Like you and I have a decent idea what we're doing maybe this weekend into next week. Maybe the next week. But after that, even though we have things on the calendar, it just yeah. feels more fuzzy. It's, it's, it's not getting the cognitive urgency. So yeah. stakes in the ground, two weeks or less. If someone would just get stakes in the ground two weeks or less. And what I mean by that is uh, uh, deliverables, um, you know, that are targeted. So, so um, you know, mid-month, next month, end of month, mid-month. If they just did that, yeah. you'd get better because it's just enough. And by the way, not just for us, but sometimes we have to deal with people who are dragging their feet. And, and it's not because necessarily they're because they're lazy, but it could be their boss gives them other priorities. A lot of times when business analysts and project managers have to influence that authority a lot. So when, when I've got somebody who's kind of dragging their feet, I'll get a stake in the ground and say, hey, by the way, uh, you're on the agenda next Tuesday to give an update in the meeting. They may go, whoa, wait, no, I won't be done. It's like, oh, no, no, no problem, no problem. Just, I just want to let you know, give us an update. <laughs> Guess how the work, the work picks up as you get closer yeah. to Tuesday. Because yeah. as humans, we work really hard to not look like idiots. <laughs> And so you get a stake in the ground, <laughs> so they don't show up to the meeting and they go, oh, I'm sorry, Marcus. I uh, yeah, so stakes in the ground, that's, that's, a, that's a- Stakes in the ground, I like that. Stakes in the ground. And I, I think the other, the other thing that applies, like I find that applies in almost any environment where, where, it's, where it's a little bit more difficult to apply the stakes in the ground is I was working with a guy who was on a 15-year project. It was an environmental project. Two-week two week deliverables on a 15-year project might be a little bit too granular, but still, I will say, that guy had very little urgency. And so he would have done better to have shorter timeframes. But the other thing I'd say is uh, more discipline around risk management because so much of project management comes down to risk management. And here's just, just one idea, practical idea. Every time you have an update meeting on your project, talk about the top risks. So whatever, whatever you normally talk about. So if you go, uh, here's what we did since uh, we talked last, um, you know, on, on agile projects, that might be like a daily thing. You now, here's what I did yesterday. Here's what I'm going to do today. Typical stand-up questions. But let's say it's a weekly cadence. Hey, here's what we did since last week. Uh, budget. Anything you'd normally talk about, do that. But in addition, I'd say, hey, buddy, here, here's our top risk, and here's what we're doing about it. And here's another top risk. Here's what we're doing about it. That ongoing conversation about risk, that allows risk to not be a four-letter word, so to speak. It allows mm. it to be, hey, you know, we don't talk about risk because we're like, oh, wow, risk. 
freaked out. No, no. Risk is breathing on a project. And if we can make talking about risk, breathing on a project, that this is just normal for us to do, it's going to help people deliver. So yeah. Stakes in the ground. Talk about risks at every meeting. It's not about being negative. It's, in fact, you're not bringing problems. You're bringing solutions. You're saying, here's what our top risk is. Here's what we're doing about it. And then we can have a discussion about it. What the risk are you talking about? That's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Excellent. Okay, so let's see. On the subject of confidence, confident leaders, two ways that PMs can become more competent leaders. You know, take focused. Uh, yeah. Take focused action, rather, achieve results, this kind of thing. Uh, what, what, what do you think? Yeah, so this is a topic I love because we've been increasingly asked to give workshops on executive presence. And part of executive presence, or as one of my clients, they wanted to call it leader leadership presence instead of executive presence because they want people lower in the organization that don't see themselves as executives, but it's really the same idea. Uh, part of presence, like presence is one of those things where you, you kind of recognize it when you see it, like you're like, wow you know, she's got a lot of presence, you know, or he's got a lot of presence, but it's kind of more difficult to define. So uh, I interviewed the Harvard professor, Amy Cuddy, her book called Presence. And um, part of her definition of presence is confidence without arrogance. Because confidence to an extreme comes off as arrogance or narcissism or something like that. But there's something about, man, Marcus, he's a confident guy, but he's not even close to arrogant, you know? And so, so, so where is that? So, um, so here's my question to you, Marcus, is uh, what comes first, the little chicken and egg? Competence? And so you have confidence because you're competent? Or does confidence come first? And then that confidence leads to confidence. So do you have, do you have a, uh, by the way, good, well-intentioned people can disagree on both of yeah, how you might yeah. answer. But what's your, what's your personal take? I, I think you need the confidence first. You need that thing to jettison you to the next step, to the next stage. You need to initialize what it is you're doing. You need to, you need a starting point. Who's going to get you there? Yeah. So get that confidence going first. And sometimes many of us, in fact, even the best of the best, you, you need people around you to support you to do that. And your, your competence will grow with that over time. That's what I think. I think you're right on. I think that I talked to Jim Kuzis. They've, they've sold millions of copies of their book, The Leadership Challenge. And this is a topic they hit head on. They're like, too many people think that you have to wait until you're fully competent on something yeah. to feel confident. And here's the crazy, here's the crazy thing about the imposter syndrome idea is that some of the most competent people still feel the, <laughs> still feel the imposter syndrome. Like, yeah. it, like it, it usually is high performers that struggle with it. Well, yeah. so if you wait until you're competent, that goalposts just keep moving out because when are you ever fully competent? When, when have you ever arrived? Even in, in especially in a disruptive world, you're never really there. Yeah. So I, I, I tend to think of it just the way you do is, you need, you need just enough confidence to get you to be willing to say yes or to try or to build and almost like stair steps. Like the, the, the confidence gets you to say yes. And now you're in this role. You're like, why did I say yes? You got to figure it out. That's probably the best leadership advice I've ever gotten. If you have to boil it down to three words, figure it out. When I, when I'm, when I'm, when I feel like I'm kind of paralyzed, I don't know what to do. I try to remember, I, I call back on that for some reason that probably oversimplifies it, but figure it out, figure it out. What do we do? But you need the confidence to get you in the situation. The confidence is one uh, guest told me he's a former CIA spy 
know, he, he wrote a book. If Jason Bourne wrote a book, this was the book, you know, but there wasn't really a whole lot I could take out of the book, but one of them was have this, he called it a positivity reflex. You need this, you need this sense of, I don't know, spies have to do this. They don't know how they're going to get out of this, but they have to have the belief that they can get out of it. And I think that's true for us. We have to have the confidence that even though I don't know what I'm going to do, I have the confidence that we as a team can figure this out. And, and so, so don't, you know, the first thing is don't um, wait until you're competent. Sometimes you do have to fake it until you make it. In fact, I had a, I had a guest, Mark Efron, who says there's scientific backing to the fake it till you make it. And he has a whole chapter on it in the book, uh, Eight Steps to High Performance. And I, I think it kind of comes off as a little bit superficial, but his point is you need the confidence. You need to walk into that meeting. Like you, you don't, if you, if you and I are going to stand up in front of an audience and go, oh man, I'm freaking out inside. I'm like so nervous. I'm really sorry. Now that's being authentic, but it's also being stupid. You know? And so, yeah. so sometimes we need the confidence that's going to get us to grow the confidence. Yeah. And so just remembering that dynamic. And then the other thing is a, a CIO told me, he goes, um, how do you say it? He goes, um, he goes, you really have to deliver. You want more currency? You want more, you want more currency? You have to deliver, you know? So, so, so you have to deliver. And so one way to build more confidence is getting yourself in situations where you do deliver and you build up a re reputation to mm -hmm. deliver. So he called, his, his direct quote was credibility is currency. Credibility is currency. And one way to develop confidence is to be able to have this track record that you can look back on. So, you, so that's another way of saying competence, I suppose. So it's really working on both sides of that yeah. and keeping a balance that stair step is really what you're trying to do. So you're not a CIO, you're an FIO. I'm here to figure it out. Yeah, there you go. That's yeah. it. We're, 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 you know, by the way, the figure it out advice is not something you say to your team. If they come up and go, hey, Marcus, what should we do? You don't go, figure it out. Figure it out. <laughs> We can figure it out, but I, I just, I, I, I love, it oversimplifies it, but it's like, hey, what do leaders do? We figure it out. And you know, it's funny too, because I think that leaders, we all have vulnerabilities. And even if you see someone who you think is bigger and better than you, higher at the top, you know what, there's, there's probably times that they question themselves. They question their own thoughts. Then they, they think, I can't do it, you know, and they need people to back them up. They need those mentors and coaches to keep pushing them. Oh, and, um, you know, I, I did a speech competition not too long ago and I was sweating. I was sweating. I was perspiring. My glasses were fogging up. Right. And you know, you know what I, because I've been doing public speaking for years, I, I get stage fright once in a while. People, it happens. happens. And so I told people at the end, you know what? I didn't think that I did that well because I was sweating. They said, you know what? We didn't even see it. We didn't even notice it right. because, you know, you, you, Anyway, that's how it is. That's how no, it but, is. Man. But here's yeah. just to back up what you're saying. I've got a friend who she told me the first, so she's a CEO. The night before her first day as a CEO, she was Googling how to be a CEO. <laughs> she, and, and she's a, I mean, if you met her, you'd be like, she is like rock solid, confident. Yeah. I mean, she's amazing. Yeah. She's amazing. She was struggling with, so every, everyone struggles with it. But Herminia Ibarra, she wrote this fabulous book called Act Like a Leader, Think Like a Leader. And she goes, authenticity is held so high, Marcus. Right? You know, you got to be authentic these days. You got to be authentic. And she goes, it's not true. That, that's, that's not wrong, that we do have to be authentic. But she goes, sometimes we use authenticity as an excuse to not change. 
And so, you know, that's not me. Well, wait, wait a minute. In this new role, I'm a, I'm a project manager over a bigger project now. I, I maybe don't feel confident, but I need to exude confidence to my team. Not arrogance, yeah. but I need, I, I, in this role. So that's why she's like, act like a leader. Think like a leader. That's, that's it. And she talks about the imposter syndrome in the book. That's actually a really good book if someone feels like they're over their head. They don't, they maybe wouldn't say it out loud but they feel a little bit over their head. Act like a leader, think like a leader, Herminia Ibarra. And I found that that advice is really helpful. It's authenticity is important, but don't let it be an excuse to not change. Yeah, that's true. And I think you just answered my next question, which was how do you influence and persuade as a project manager? And I think, yeah, I think we've covered it. I think that's it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, exude authenticity, no doubt. Any advice for those who want to get started in the PM business? You know, I mean, I find like there's this, uh, I've heard it referred to as the Terman study and the Grant study, but in both cases, they studied people from youth to death. So over decades, and they tried to control for as many things as possible. What seemed to make the difference between the people that were successful and not as successful? And one of the big findings is you become like who you surround yourself with. And I think of that as a parent, like the whoever my kids are hanging out with are probably influencing my kids more than yeah. I was. That's the same yeah. for you and I, like who we hang out with Marcus probably impacts us more. And that's true with health outcomes. It's true with habits. It's true with all kinds of stuff. So if somebody wants to get better at being project manager um, or even to have opportunities to do it, hang out with people yeah. who are running projects, like, uh, you know, show up at uh, you know, P my chapter meetings. You've got a vibrant chapter you know, there we, uh, we are in Calgary, but, you know, depending on where anyone is around the world, there, there might be a chapter they can do that or within their organization, like find someone who's leading projects, you know, have a cup of coffee with them or, you know, get them on a Teams meeting or a Zoom meeting, you know, something where you can, you can get a sense of what is it that they do, because it might be something that you think you want to do, <laughs> but you spend enough time with someone who's doing it, you go, uh, eh. Uh, yeah my, well my wife flew as a flight attendant for many years every once in a while someone would come out of flight training and like find that they don't like being in a plane <laughs> that's a little late to be trying that out you know and um in uh john stepper's book it's the most ep recent episode that i published i don't know how soon this interview will go out but uh he he tells a story of someone who retired out of an hr role and she's like i always wanted to have like this i seem to recall it's like an italian bakery slash coffee shop. She goes, that, that's my dream. She got these great recipes and she, you know, uh, she opened her store and this is pre-pandemic. People loved it. They loved it. They were swamped, highly successful. And she hated it. She was miserable. And I, yeah, that, I'd hate for anybody to get to that point. So yeah. experiment. And uh, in the book, Designing Your Life, I think is the name of it. They take design thinking, applying to life. They're like one of the best prototypes because prototyping is a big part of design thinking. Uh, one of the best prototypes is conversation. So it's like, hang out with people that are doing it. What do you love about it? What do you not love about it? What, how'd you get into it? And you never know where those conversations will go to. You might just find this is where I want to go. And then usually people are brought in because they're already doing it. You know, I mean, a sense of like, here's an opportunity. Maybe you volunteer for some opportunities. Maybe you, uh, you put your name in the hat, so to speak, for an opportunity, but you don't sit back and wait for it. You, you actively pursue opportunities to lead projects. And since we're probably leading projects more than what we realize, keeping track of 
what is it my last couple of years? I've been leading projects, whether I was a project manager or not, I can bring that into an interview and talk about what I've delivered. So uh, you and I, I think it, yeah, we talked about this before we started recording, but we're all project managers. You know, we're all having to deliver stuff. So starting to build up a portfolio of past projects can help as well. Yeah, and you know, it's amazing. I think that even the best of the best will want to give you a hand once in a while. Don't think they won't. I'm amazed how accessible people are on LinkedIn. You, you uh, I don't care if it's an author, if it's a executive. Uh, I'm not saying it's always that case, but in many cases, people are a lot more accessible than what we might think. So that maybe goes back to our part about the ask, you know? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I think this is all part and parcel of that project economy and how to grow yourself within it. Great. So anyone wants to, anyone in the audience wants to get in touch with you, how can they do so? You know, probably the best place to do it is just listen to podcasts. And, you know, if, uh, you know, it's a way to get PDUs if they're looking for them or just get value that way. And then they could send an email to show at peopleandprojectspodcast.com. That comes to me directly. So that'd be another, another way to do it. But the, uh, the, the best way to follow up from something like this is just start, you know, learning that way. Fantastic. Well, thanks, uh, Andy. This has been a fabulous conversation. Love it, Marcus. Thanks for the invite. Appreciate it. Ah, you're very much welcome. And uh, have a great day in Illinois. I hope the weather is keeping you warm. It is. It's getting there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Take care. Talk yeah. to you soon. Okay. Bye.